probably one of the many messages preached in Mimberry. Of course, it is edited. It's not the same, but it is the same topic, the abundant life. It's found in John chapter 10. Um, John chapter 10. We read in that passage of scripture in verse 10, especially of John chapter 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, John chapter 10 have one of the great I am's of Jesus. There are many. Repeats this phrase about half a dozen times in this chapter. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth life for the sheep. He uses many images, and the good shepherd is one of those images. David was a shepherd, he was okay, but good has to do with God. Um, David was not good. It wasn't say, I'm not saying that he was a failure, but only Jesus can say, I'm the good shepherd. It's like, I cannot say I'm a good pastor, but the Lord Jesus can say, I'm a good pastor because he's perfect. And this is how the word is used. But the parable brings attention to another subject in verse one of John chapter 10. He says, most assuredly I saith to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, who, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. The sheepfold, obviously, is the place where the sheep are kept and protected. The sheepfold is an image that Jesus used to describe the church where he feeds, where he leads the spiritual sheep that are given to him by his father. But the sheepfold is a vulnerable place. Many have found their way in the church by virtue of another entrance. The Lord calls them thieves and robbers. They're not Christians, they're not saved, but they have entered the church. It is harder for thieves and robbers to enter Fort Knox. It is harder for them. It is fortified, it is guarded. It is harder for them to enter Fort Knox or the Pentagon. than the church. It's very easy for thieves to enter the church. The sheepfold is not free from thieves and robbers. And therefore the Lord warns us, it is Satan. I guess we know the parable very well. But are we practicing what we read in this parable? It is Satan who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Hence, 
Our shepherd makes this a pronouncement in verse 10. When he says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Well, what is this abundant life that the Lord is referring to? Is it a life that brings health, wealth, and prosperity, like some say? Some teach this, that God wants you to have that abundant life. T.D. Jakes, you hear this in Africa. I went to visit one family house, and she first person she asked, you know T.D. Jakes? I say, yeah, he's a fraud. If the abundant life is a life of success in the corporate sector of business that many speak about when they speak about the abundant life, it is not this. Ministers of the gospel want to be politically connected and people have often said to me, you, you need to be more political connected and you'll get by, you'll be able to get things from the city and yeah, but the next thing you know, we will have Eric Adams coming in here making a lecture and not taking a seat to let me preach to him. That's the price for being politically connected. That's the abundant life. It is not this at all. This is a separated life, as I was saying this morning. The holiness. If the abundant life was one of a person having a hopper's fill, then the Lord is shortchanging Christians, true Christians. The wise Solomon made a statement, a profound statement, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, here's an evil which I have seen under the sun. And it is common among men, a man to whom God have given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of, of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth this, eateth it. He says this is vanity. And it is an evil disease. What the preacher is saying is that one may have all that is needed in this life but have no ability or desire to enjoy it or enjoy them. Today, many people are confined to places where they cannot comprehend the difference between caviar and saltfish. But saltfish is a delicacy now, so I don't even know if I should make that comparison. But you know what I'm saying? Um, many people I've seen and visited says, brother, I, I, I just, Pastor Martin, I just can't taste it, whatever you put before me. I don't even know what it is. This is what Solomon is saying. People have no appetite to eat, no strength to travel, no desire to see those things they once cherished. I think it was, it was, um, it was Jacob. One of the patriarchs, when they get 
to a certain age, she couldn't detect between two boys playing. He, he, he didn't know which was which. And God used that so that the blessing would go to the right one. He didn't know. You see, you, you, see, you smell like Esau, but you, you feel like Jacob, whichever. He couldn't tell. That's all I'm trying to say. And, and we get to that in this life. That's not the abundant life. The Lord give us something better than these things. I'm come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The only one that can explain this abundant life is the one who give it. And therefore we should listen to him. The Bible uses many figurative words to describe the abundant life that Jesus gave. As a matter of fact, he said to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is the life that he's referring to. Everlasting life. The physical life that we live will demand the things of this world. I am not going to argue with that. It presses continually to get more out of this world. Many people put those things that they can get out of this world before God. But the life the Lord gives satisfies our thirsty souls. Great men have given up lucrative job offers to be in a pulpit or in a pew. Jesus describes this life as water that quenches our spiritual thirsts. He was referring to the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Let me explain this life. The abundant life knows the forgiveness of sins. That's how it begins. The scripture says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. The Bible tells in John 1, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. That's the abundant life. He gives us light. The fact that you and I can hear the gospel proclaim that we can feel, that we can enjoy a fellowship meal is proof that we have natural, physical life. You can enjoy a meal. But these things are no proof that one has the forgiveness of sins. No proof whatsoever. This is not the abundant life. The Lord Jesus said, the life is more than meat or food and the body more than clothes. He said in another place, foxes have holes and the birds of the air has nests, but the son of man have no place to lay his head. I don't think Jesus owned a house. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't own a house. By all means, if the Lord has put you in a way, you should protect your family. 
and provide for your family. And yet he says this and yet he makes this statement that he is come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly but he can say the foxes have holes and the birds have nests and I don't have no place to lay my head. The Lord is speaking of a quality of life, not necessarily a quantity of life. I am the door by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. That's the word that is predominantly used for salvation, Brother James. Sozo, whenever you read this, it is talking about salvation. And shall go in and out and find pastor. Notice you find that the liberty of the one is word, find pastor, is a very interesting word. And this word is also used as to describe the pastor. Jeremiah used this word pasture, how the sheep graze in pastures. It's speaking about the church and where we ought to find ourselves if we have life. This is the life the Lord is speaking about, a saved life, one that knows the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And sometimes we remember our sins. And I think we should do a good job of listening to the Lord Jesus who says, I remember them no more. And the devil likes us to remember our sins, to keep us defeated. We need to go back to the scriptures. The promise of the new covenant believer, the forgiveness of sins. But let me say what the forgiveness of sins is not. Forgiveness of sins is not an attachment to the church or a church. Anyone can be formally attached to a church through the ceremonial ordinances like water baptism and Holy Communion. These are the common things that attach people to the church. But this is not the forgiveness of sins. Neither is forgiveness of sins self-attainable, like making a decision and performing good deeds. Many people have made decisions and they do not have the forgiveness of sins. I struggle about my salvation for many months after making a decision. I wonder if I was really converted because occasionally I was still, I was overcome still by sin. And sometimes we might struggle with sin for a while before God gave us assurance when he takes the sin away from us. It's not that you're not troubled by sin. You'll always be troubled by sin. But you don't succumb to sin anymore. That's the difference. You're able to, to turn away from sin. Some people can't turn away from sin because they have not been converted. So let me tell you what it is not. It's not attachment to the church. It's not self-attained. Many have started on this path, self-attained Christianity, to fizzle out. 
It's like the seed that fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. Forgiveness of sin is described as regeneration. A makeover. A new heart will I give them and a new spirit will I put within them. Forgiveness of sins is not self-attainable, but God attained. The pottery makes the clay, as we're told in Jeremiah 18. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, a seemed good to the potter to make it. Peter Samuel dealt with this verse when he was here. You should remember. God made man in his own image from clay. But we became marred by virtue of the fall and by sin. And for God to have a people of his own, he had to remake from that same lump a new creature. What a beautiful picture. Out of the same lump, he made a new vessel, as he said in Romans chapter 9. And people were arguing of God's sovereignty. Have not the potter over power over the clay to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? The clay is in his hands and he fashions one to love him and he crushes the other one because of rebellion. We teach about a sovereign God in salvation. It humbles man. It brings him where he ought to be. God gets the glory. Forgiveness of sins is a makeover. It's a miracle. New creature. The new birth. This has become a problem in the church. We are to trust God. Most of my ministry was trying to get people to live like Christians who are not Christians. When you understand this, you would know what I'm saying. The potter must reshape you. Reshape your thinking. Reshape your attitude. The potter. We to trust God in our preaching, lest we be, we be frustrating people and frustrating ourselves. Unless the Lord builds the city, the workman labor in vain, the abundant life begins with the forgiveness of sins, regeneration. We should be busy seeking life. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin and whose spirit is no deceit. God. Brethren, it's quite different here than what many say. Forgiveness of sins is a quality of life. It's not attachment to the church. It's not self-attained. It's regeneration. It is not self-sustained either. If, it, if abundant life was self-sustained, it means you would have to keep yourself safe. Let's understand the doctrine. These doctrines, these these um, we we call them uh, 
these doctrines of the Reformation. Let's understand them carefully. I've heard people say that they will, they will decide when they will pursue the forgiveness of sins. They actually can tell you when they went somewhere. Maybe when they're old, when, when, when the children are grown up, when, when they reach retirement age, they'll, 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 look, they'll look for life. This is a dangerous idea to have because James says, for what is your life? You see, even as a vapor that appears for a while, and many, many people who thought they would be up and about and well today are not. They're not. A good number of my friends they don't even recognize me anymore. My friend, my dear friend, Victor in Pennsylvania tells me the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Just a few months older than I am. Confined to a facility, an assisted home. We went to cricket together. We went on the garrison together. We did everything together. We came up to America together. Live on the same street together. Well, am I any better that God would look upon me with such mercy? I don't think so. He doesn't have abundant life. Forgiveness of sin is expressing thankfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. But Apostle Paul said all these wonderful things, and then he said, even the forgiveness of sins. It's like we didn't deserve it, even the forgiveness of sins. He gave us all these things, translated us from darkness to light in the kingdom of his son, give us redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. He's saying it as though we don't deserve it. It's just like, my dad gave me a house home. Even a million dollars. No, no, I don't have a million dollars. But I'm just using the phrase so that you can understand. Um, my friend, um, Miguel is really rolling up over there. He, he, yes, he want to get close to me now. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you these, these statements to, to show you we don't deserve it. You know? It's expressing thanksgiving. Having said these things, the apostle added this, even the forgiveness of sin. It's, it's like it's a wonder. And, and it's too good to be true. It's a life given to those who have turned from darkness to light. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Wow, sheep. Give us life that you and I can be saved. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death, or by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. It is his life. You know, people talk about by the blood and stuff like that. It's not, it's not the blood itself. It is the life that is represented by the blood, the perfect life that he lived is what is credited to the one with abundant life. The life that he lived 
is what is credited, imputed to a, a person that has become saved. That's why it is called abundant life. So I hope you understand how this phrase is used. I just quoted Romans 5.10. The abundant life is one that has forgiveness of sins, begins with forgiveness of sins. It's a thankful life. It's one that is transferred from darkness to light. Is this, is this you? Is this, is this you this evening? Do, do you have this life? Are you forgiven of sins? Is this, is this me? If we have, we ought to be thankful. And there's, there are many ways that you and I can express thankfulness to God. If we have life. Second, the abundant life enjoys fellowship with God and the people of God. I must, uh, I must add that clause because the Bible incorporates the two together. When I speak of the people of God, I'm not speaking of those who are in La La Land out there in the name of religion. I'm speaking of those, according to Peter, 2 Peter 1, those of like precious faith. So understand what I'm saying. Those who are like-minded. You can find any place in any congregation, people that are like-minded with you. But you do not find in any congregation people that are like-minded with Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Today, church life is treated very poorly. Church life for many is treated like drudgery, stressful, absence of joy, rush, a rush to leave. Apostle said to the church at Rome, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Notice the, notice the nouns, the plural nouns, you, you and me, you. That's church life. You, me and you. I reference today that many young people do not like church. It's, it's like drudgery. It, it, one, uh, one was even telling me that his grandson was saying, church again? I don't know what is so bad about church. I don't know what parents are doing. And I blame parents because we should have church in our house. We used to have church in our house. We should have church in our house. Would you like to go on a trip somewhere and you're staying at a pastor and he said to you, um, Brian, would you take the devotional with my kids this evening? Are you sure, Ronald? That's no problem. I can do that. He told me that they were accustomed to that. And he was going out of town and I had to sit them down when they were little. Would, would, would the Lord be able, would somebody be able to do that with you and entrust your children, their children to you? Or would you be saying, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, where to start? You should know where to start. 
These things are real. These things are true. At times your Christian faith is put on the spot. Eternal life. Enjoys fellowship with God and the people of God. Our faith is not only like precious faith. It's a mutual faith. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3. The word us refers to the apostles who saw Christ in his risen state. They declare him to us. To have fellowship with God means to find agreement with the word of God that is given to us by the apostles. It is like precious faith. It's a neutral faith. It's a shared faith. These three things. Is what is meant when I say the abundant life is one that begins with forgiveness of sins, enjoys fellowship with God and the people of God. The word koinonia, that is described as fellowship, doesn't mean what people think. It doesn't mean hanging out together. Meal fellowship, the central thing around meal fellowship, of course, was the meal, the stew beef, the curry board, and the curry chicken. But this fellowship, this word koinonia, that is used to describe the fellowship is a different word. It means people in agreement with God's word and each other. We have Bible teachers in here, so they know what I'm saying is true. It means to be in agreement with God, agreement with his word, agreement with each other. And many people will be getting together later tonight. Uh, and the object of their joy is not the object of a Christian's joy. The object of their joy is a ball that everybody will be looking at. The object of the Christian is Christ that we are looking to. You can have a common room filled with people and they have different sources of joy. Sometimes if you go in a, a barber shop, you will see what I'm talking about. And sometimes I hate to go in barbershops. I feel like I will go and turn off the TV. Clongs in there, everybody got a bottle or a glass in their hand. That's their joy. It's not the way with the community of the saints in light. So this abundant life that I'm speaking about that the Lord gave to us begins with the forgiveness of sins. It's a life that enjoys fellowship with God and the people of God. We're here today because some of us, I believe, have been given this life. It's not a grief to have fellowship with the Lord, but a joy. The abundant life is not a religion. It's a relationship with God and his people. Religion is an adherence to religious rules and regulations, to rituals and rote. The abundant life enjoys fellowship with God and the people of God. And today we are in a culture that do not love the Lord and do not love the church. Because if you love the Lord, you love the church. Christ died for the church, not for the world, the church. 
So, we want to clear the air about what Jesus is teaching about the abundant life. It begins with the forgiveness of sin. It enjoys fellowship with God. Lastly, the abundant life looks forward to the future blessed hope. You can't want anything clearer than that. Deliberately three F's that you can remember. Looks forward to the future blessed hope. Life do not end when a true Christian dies. I will be very embarrassed and very disappointed if the Lord doesn't grant me the desires of my heart. I would be very ashamed and embarrassed and disappointed if the Lord doesn't grant me the desires of my heart to be in his presence, to be free of sin here on this earth. Must I live like this all the time? Isn't there no comfort? Isn't there no hope? Yes, there's hope in Christ. They say you might be riddled with pain. There's hope in Christ. Abundant life doesn't stop. That's why it is abundant. While others go and are judged and are cast into hell, not the Christian. I told you we preach this message evangelistically. Why should I not preach it to you? This is the ultimate desire of the abundant life, the return of Jesus Christ. We might die before he returned, but we, we, we know some facts in the Bible that we can trust. Where the Lord's people will be given a resurrected body, don't know what it looks like. And I will comment about this because I did comment about it some, um, some time ago. And I find another verse, but a calling that clarified what I was saying. The Job, Job the patriarch said, no, I think Paul the apostle said, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven, 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. But the Old Testament saint, Job, his body was riddled with sickness. And he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. You hear what Job said? Job said that he will be so occupied with seeing the Redeemer that he don't see anybody else. So you need to forget that rubbish that you're going to see auntie and your uncle in heaven. Job said, I will see for myself another another. I will be gazing at him in worship. I don't have time for my wife who tell me cuss the Lord and die. Job, powerful statement, and this contradicts the theory, brethren, 
that you have, that you're going to see who you are in heaven. Job said, I will see him for myself and not another. I won't see nobody else. I'm not focus on anyone else but the Redeemer. Abundant life looks forward to the future. Blessed hope. Like I said, I will be really ashamed. Remember the psalmist says, let not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He was talking about his sins. Oh my God, I trust in thee. And the psalmist, Old Testament saints, cry to this name. Oh my God, I trust in thee. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He wasn't talking about this, the, the enemies on a war zone. Somebody is indwelling sin. One of them triumph over me. The devil wage war. Abundant life looks forward to this future hope. For what is our hope? Our joy. Our crown. Our rejoicing. Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Therefore, when, when Jesus said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come, that they might have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. He's given a warning as well as a promise. The thief has entered the sheepfold and have robbed many of these wonderful graces. <coughs> of the abundant life. Rob many of the forgiveness of sins. Rob many of fellowship with God and the people of God. Rob many from the blessed future hope. That's the thief's job. The thief has entered the sheepfold by way of false brethren. He has entered the church by erroneous doctrines, teachings. He has entered the church by way of allurements of this world. He has entered and his goal is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Just look around and you will see the thief at work in the church. Jesus warned, but he reminds us, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Even though the church is a vulnerable place, let's continue. Let's continue. But Peter reminds us, for we were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. We were like that, but now have returned to this shepherd, the good shepherd and bishop of our souls. He takes care of his people. He feeds them. He leads them. He protects them. He preserves them. So may the Lord write this New Year's resolution on each heart today. I promise Elmira I'll be done before five. I've kept my promise to you. Okay? So you need to give me a big hug and a kiss. May the Lord bless you. Yeah. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have granted us the Lord's day 
for our benefit. And we trust that you have been pleased with our worship, even with our lightness and sense of humor. Um, we pray, Lord, that you use all of these means to draw your sheep to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.